You're listening to Pastor David Gusick preach through the Book of Acts at Calvary Chapel, Santa Barbara. The theme from the Book of Acts is Spirit-Driven. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you that we have this time, this place, where we can come with great expectation that you're going to speak to us through your word. And so, Lord, at this particular morning, I feel my own weakness. But, Lord, I know that doesn't hinder you in the slightest because your strength is made perfect in our weakness. And, Lord, that's our expectation this morning. So do it, Lord. Speak to us through your wonderful word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So open up your Bibles or turn on your Bible or wherever you read your Bible to Acts chapter 11. And I love this section of Scripture because we've been following the book of Acts all the way through chapter 1. And we've been seeing how that initial call, that initial command that Jesus gave to his disciples, that they should be his witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. Even though it took them a while to get started on the uttermost parts of the earth thing, now in Acts chapters 10 and 11, it's really starting to roll. And it couldn't roll. It couldn't go out to the nations until they settled an essential issue first, and that was the issue of how Gentiles would come into the kingdom of God and come into a relationship with Jesus, the Messiah. But because they all started with the conception that Gentiles could come into the kingdom of God if they first became Jews. That a Gentile could come to Jesus, but first he had to come through Moses. He had to come through the Mosaic law, which was uh, beginning the initiation, of course, for a man was to be circumcised. But then there was a whole layer of dietary regulations and ceremonial things that had to be observed to to the utmost ability of that person saying if they were going to be a follower of Moses and then a follower of Jesus. All that starts to get shaken up in Acts chapter 10 when God speaks through Peter uh, in an amazing vision and an amazing word from him to come that God was going to do a new work among the Gentiles at that time. So at the end of Acts chapter 10, you could say that a great work of God was done. God clearly showed that the door was open for the Gentiles to come to faith in Jesus Messiah and that they could come to Jesus as Gentiles. They didn't have to first become Jews. They didn't have to first come under the law of Moses. But the door was open to them as Gentiles. They just had to repent and believe. So at the very end of Acts chapter 10, we saw that a sermon that Peter preached to this group of, I don't know, we're not told the exact number, maybe 15 or 20 people gathered together there at the house of Cornelius the Centurion. While Peter was preaching to that small group, there was a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon those Gentiles. And that outpouring of the Holy Spirit was marked by some special phenomenon. Those Gentiles spontaneously spoke unto God with languages that they had never spoken before. And that was a special evidence of the Holy Spirit's work. And that these same Gentiles were baptized into the same family of God that Peter and the other Jewish believers in the Messiah had also been baptized into. There was going to be one body, not two bodies, 
Not, not one group of Jewish Christians and one group of Gentile Christians. Not two bodies. And a matter of fact, there wasn't going to be one body with two compartments. You know, sort of the upper compartment for those who kept the law of Moses and the lower compartment for those who didn't know it was going to be one body. Just as much as that sheet that was lowered down from heaven was one sheet and had clean and unclean animals on it, you could say that that sheet represented what the church would become, both Jew and Gentile upon it, but one sheet right there. You see, that issue of Gentiles coming into the church, it, it, it w- was ended for Peter. God spoke to him about it. It was clear from his prayer. It was clear from the vision. It was clear from how God lined up the circumstances. It was clear from the scriptures, as we will see. It was over for Peter, but it wasn't over for everybody. Because let's remember, virtually the entire church at this time were Jewish people who had put their faith in Jesus. They thought it was so natural that to become a Christian, you first had to become a Jew. So... They wondered what was going on when Peter came back from his little trip to Caesarea. Let's read verse 1 now. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, did you see what it said in verse 1? Now, the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. The greatness of the work that God did among those Gentiles in Caesarea, you couldn't hide it. It became known. Hey, did you hear about that great outpouring of the Holy Spirit? And it came upon Gentiles. Those guys didn't even have time to get circumcised. They didn't have time to go and clean out their cupboards of the unkosher food that they had. There they were, non-observant Gentiles, and God put his stamp of approval upon them by pouring out his Holy Spirit upon them. Now, there were people who had trouble with that. Notice who raised the objection. Verse 1 says, now the apostles and brethren. That catches my attention right there. You know what word catches my attention? Apostles. I wonder who it was. Now, this is the grace of God working through the pen of Luke, writing the book of Acts, that he doesn't tell us who they were. Isn't that great? I mean, look, if you were one of the guys who called out Peter on this, if you were, and I don't know, please forgive me if there's an apostle in heaven listening to me, all right? But if it was John, or if it was Matthew, or if it was one of the other apostles, hey, what are you doing with this? How dare you do this, Peter? Aren't you glad that he didn't record that it was you who did it? That's just a vague, generic. Apostles and brethren, it says, they heard about this, but it identifies them in verse 2 as being those of the circumcision. They were people who were very serious about keeping the laws of Moses, even though they were Christians. Again, I want to make it very plain. These were Christians of a Jewish background. They were the ones who were upset about this. And they don't seem to object to the fact that the Gentiles were brought into the kingdom. Their objection is found in verse 3. You went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter, what's wrong with you? Why did you go and eat at an unkosher table? Why did you go and associate in that close way with Gentiles 
because that's not what we're supposed to do according to the Jewish ritual law. Now, again, I want to explain very plainly. There was never a command in the Old Testament, you can't eat at the table with a Gentile. Never a command. Peter broke no command. What he broke were Jewish customs and traditions. They were very strong customs and traditions, but Peter was willing to break those under the instruction of God. And that's exactly what he did. And these are the men calling him on it. You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. And this offended these Christian Jews. So verse 2 says, they contended with Peter. Now look, I, I don't want to get ethnically charged here. I'm just going to say this, and I don't mean this in any disparaging way. Give me a little bit of grace. I'll, I'll claim the jet lag if I need to later. Have you ever seen Jewish people contend with one another? Right? It can be pretty animated, right? And doesn't it say that in verse 2? Can you picture this scene in your mind? They're contending with each other. This isn't like, hey, uh, Peter, we just kind of hurt. No. They're animated. They're loud. They're in each other's face. They're really giving it to one another. They contended one with another because Peter had the, the, the audacity to go and eat at a Gentile's table, and they were objecting to it. Now, please understand, the objection of those of the circumcision was on the point that Peter went in and ate with them. They were much more concerned with what Peter did than with what God was doing among the Gentiles. By the way, this shows how wise it was for Peter to take witnesses with him from Joppa to Caesarea so that his eyes were not the only eyes looking at this. So do you have this scene in your mind? Peter comes back. He's so excited. God did such an amazing thing among the Gentiles. I can't believe it. He walks into, I don't know, the church service or something. I don't know. He walks in. There's the apostles and brethren there. Peter, we need to talk with you. And they start contending. I didn't use the word contend. I mean, the Bible uses it, right? They didn't make up the word contend. It's right there in verse 2. They're contending back and forth about this. So what's Peter's reply? Look at his reply right there in verse 4. It says this. But Peter said, I'm the Pope. Don't bother me about this. No, he didn't say that, did he? No. I find it remarkable in verse 4. It says, but Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying. Peter is being very loving and gracious towards these guys. He's saying, guys, look, I understand that this is going to be hard for you to understand. So I'm going to explain it to you just from the beginning. By the way, James Montgomery Boyce, in his excellent commentary on the book of Acts, he says that that. Um, Peter began with a humble recitation of what happened and that the Greek makes this particularly clear that it indicates that Peter began at the beginning and explained everything precisely, using a very strong word there, precisely as it happened. Very patiently, very lovingly, Peter saying, okay, guys, let me tell you exactly when he wasn't throwing down the trump card of apostolic authority. He wasn't saying, well, I'm Peter, so you just listen to me. That's all there is to it. He said, no, guys, I'll walk you through it step by step. I want you to understand what God is doing because I've been convinced 
Now I want you to be convinced by the work of God. And Peter felt that if he had an adequate opportunity to explain to them exactly what God did from the beginning, that they would see it too. Peter had to trust God that he would move upon their hearts, right? Because let's face it, he's asking them to make a huge shift in their mind. The shift from seeing that the central thing about their walk with God was these Jewish ceremonies and ritual laws and coming to see that the center was no going to be Jesus and not these customs and rituals. Anyway, back to verse 4. But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, and an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, this was done three times and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, there three men stood before me, the house stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me and we entered the man's house and he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you the words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Now, I love how Peter walks them through it in great detail. He says, guys, let me tell you about this experience that I had. Now, the first thing that I think might catch your attention, and I don't expect that you've been with us every week through these studies of the book of Acts, but maybe you've caught some of them before. They're online as well. Maybe you've listened to some of the previous studies that we've had here. You might just notice this is the third time Peter repeats this story. It's twice in chapter 10, and now here once in chapter 11. And friends, I I just operate on a basic premise that God does not repeat himself unnecessarily. That when God repeats something twice, it's for a very good reason. If he repeats it a third time, it's for a really good reason. And the reason that God is trying to explain to us is that this shift in mentality was absolutely crucial for the early church, that the gospel could never extend to the Gentile world, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Could I say it? It could never extend to you and I unless this issue had been settled here in Acts chapters 10, 11, and, well, you're going to have to wait for it, but in Acts chapter 15, it's going to get discussed as well. What This whole issue of how the law of Moses relates to being a Christian, this whole issue is, do you have to become a Jew before you can become a Christian? And Peter was explaining, no! God spoke to me in this vision that came down. I saw a sheet lowered down from heaven. And then we had this amazing circumstance that as soon as that vision was over, 
that men came to my door saying that I should go with them. And God told me that I should go with them. The Spirit told me that I should go with them. And I went to them, and I went and visited this home. And I love how Peter states it in the text, how he had saw the angel, how he told them to go, and that he went to visit the man, and how it says, verse 12, Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, the brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. Now, I imagine that when he said that, a gasp went out from all of his Christian Jewish listeners, right? You went into his house. Peter, you've just confessed to the crime. You're not supposed to go into a Gentile's house. Then I love what Peter says in verse 13. You see what he says there? And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house. Now, listen, if an angel can go in his house, I think Peter can go in his house. If God would go into Cornelius' house, why can't Peter go into Cornelius' house, right? And he's showing this just by recounting the story to them. He explained it to them from the beginning, but the point of it is found really in verse 9, where God spoke to Peter, and he told him, what God has cleansed you must not call common. You see, at first, Peter thought that this vision was all about food. God, are you telling me to eat things that I shouldn't eat, keeping a kosher diet? But God really was trying to sum that the vision wasn't about food. It was about people. Uh, Acts chapter 10, verse 28, Peter says this. God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean, but that God was willing to bring his gospel to all people directly, and they could be invited to repent and believe and put their trust in Jesus. And God sealed it all, as Peter indicates in verse 15, when the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. That conclusion was very important because it showed that God's stamp of approval was on this work at the Gentiles. Peter's point to these Christians from a Jewish background was clear. If God has accepted these people, how dare you not accept them? Friends, isn't that a message that hits home to us? If God has accepted somebody, how dare you not accept them? We're awfully quick to judge people, aren't we? We look at them and, wow, they just look like people that maybe we wouldn't hang around with. Sometimes they look too extreme, right? You see that guy with the, you know, the shaved head and all the tattoos and looks like the scary man that your mom or dad warned you about. Think, well, how could he be walking with Jesus? But he is. God has accepted him. You should too. Then I think of some of those tattooed, pierced, scary people. You look at the guy in the suit or the woman who's dressed nice. You say, well, they can't really love God. They're all, no, no, you need, God has accepted them. You need to accept them too. What God has called clean, you must not call common. And God demonstrated this by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was described right there in verse 15. The Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. I imagine Peter staring into the face of another apostle. There's Matthew or John or one of the other ones right in front of him. And he says, listen, just as the Holy Spirit was poured out upon you and I in the day of Pentecost, God did the same thing for them. It's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same stamp of approval. He's welcoming the Gentiles into the kingdom without them first having to become Jews. You know, all of that was amazing. 
All of that was significant, but I think it was insufficient without what Peter says in verse 16. What Peter says in verse 16 is so important that for me it's sort of a game changer in the whole account. But because sometimes people will come along and say, well, you know, God's doing a new thing, and let me tell you the new thing God is doing. And they put themselves forward as a leader or a prophet or something like that, and sometimes God raises such people up, and other times people just pretend to be such people, do they not? Well, how do you know? They can claim a spiritual experience. They can claim a vision from God. They can claim this. They can claim that. I'll tell you one of the things that's essential to knowing whether or not something is truly from God. It's as if they could truly say what Peter was able to say in verse 16. Should we read it together right here? It says, Peter said, then I remembered the word of the Lord. You see, all of it didn't make any sense until Peter remembered the word of the Lord. He had to see what God was doing and be impressed by the activity and the phenomenon in front of him. But it didn't matter until he measured it back against the word of God. The word of God would be the rule. The word of God would be the measuring line. And that's what it is ever for us today. If God is doing a work, if God is doing something new, we don't look just for the presence of activity to demonstrate the word of God, to demonstrate the work of God. We also look for the word of God to confirm it. Verse 16, then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, Then God also has granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Well, these are three amazing verses, verses 16, 17, and 18. I need to unpack them just a little bit. First of all, the thing that I already uh, uh, emphasized there in verse 16, Peter's emphasis on the word of the Lord. It wasn't enough just for him to say, I had a vision. It wasn't enough just to say, God told me to do this. It wasn't enough just to say, well, the circumstances lined up. No, he had to bring it back to the confirmation of the scriptures. And so he remembered something that Jesus said that's recorded in Mark chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus said, John, indeed, baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if God gave the Gentiles the same gift of the Holy Spirit that he gave to the apostles, then they should all pay attention to it. And so they had the word of the Lord. Now, might I add, they did not only have this word of Jesus for them right then, they also had the word of the Lord from the Old Testament. Because repeatedly in the Old Testament, there's wonderful promises about how God will welcome the Gentiles into his kingdom. And Peter could say, this is a fulfillment of the word of the Lord, both from the lips of Jesus and from the pages of the Old Testament. And I just want to emphasize the point one more time. There are many people today who say, uh, look at this work and look at what God is doing. But activity alone is not enough to validate a work of God. It must also be in line with the word of God. And the work among the Gentiles passed both tests. Verse 17 makes it very plain. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? That's a dramatic statement. 
In the movie that runs in my head, Peter delivered it in a dramatic way. He's tugging on their coats. Who was I to withstand it? If God gave them the, the same outpouring of the Holy Spirit that he gave us, how could I withstand it? Peter makes his case passionately. He recognized the importance of seeing what God was doing and realizing that we're going to go along with what God is doing. Now, this is the new Peter, isn't it? This is the filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter. Do you remember the other Peter, the Peter of the Gospels? The Peter of the Gospels had a disturbing tendency to want to get Jesus to do what Peter's plan was. Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross. Peter said, no, it's not a good plan. Why don't you do what I want you to do? Peter says to Jesus says to Peter, I want to wash your feet. Peter says, no, not a good plan, Jesus. I, you're not going to wash my feet. Now, this Peter says, no, if Jesus wants to reach the Gentiles directly, then I'm going to go along with it. I'm not going to tell Jesus what his plan should be. Friends, this is a huge mental shift. I'll just be bold enough to say it, that some of you have not yet come to. For some of you, Jesus is an actor in your play. You're writing the play of your life. You're writing the script. You're directing the actors. And Jesus is an actor in your play. And you think you've done very well because you've made Jesus, you know, one of the main actors. He's the leading man in your play. And friends, can I say that's not sufficient? Jesus isn't saying, make me the leading man in your play. You know what he's saying? saying, let me write the script. That's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I'll make you an actor in my work, in my play, in my story. And I'll give you a role to fulfill in my great plan of the ages that'll blow your mind. It might not fit into anybody's conception of what somebody else's role should be, but it'll be just the race that I've intended you to run. But it'll be what I give to you. That's what Jesus wants to do in our life. And Peter's catching on to this. Peter says, okay, Jesus, if this is what you're doing, then I'm going to go along with it. And he said, we're going to accept the Gentiles into the kingdom of God, not as second-class citizens, not as some lower category, but as one of us. Peter and all of these others began to realize that it didn't really matter if people fit in with us. If God accepted them, that's enough. If God accepts them, then we will accept them. Now, In this whole scene of contention, this whole scene of Peter making the case and explaining it all and laying it out before them, something very dramatic happened in verse 18. And again, please forgive me. I don't mean to sound stereotypical. I'm just sort of drawing on the culture. I'm just sort of drawing on this. But if you've seen people contend with one another loudly and strongly and in an argumentative way, when they suddenly become silent, Something's happened, right? Look what happens, verse 18. They became silent. When they heard these things, they became silent. These Jewish believers in Jesus, these ones from Jerusalem, they reacted with a stunned silence. We got nothing to say. Peter, you've answered all our objections. Peter, We came here thinking we were going to tell you the riot act. We came here to contend with you. But when we heard the story, when we heard your explanation, not only did it make sense to us, but the spirit of God has spoken to our heart. We're silent. We understand, Peter, what God is doing now. 
And that's a very powerful passage because now they understood that God was working among the Gentiles as well. You know, I want to give a lot of compliments to these people who contended with Peter. You know what it shows about them? It shows something that is far too rare, far too unique among Christians. It shows people who are willing to have their minds corrected by the word of God. Isn't that beautiful? When's the last time that happened for you? When's the last time that you thought something was right, but somebody just gently and patiently they came along to the scriptures and they said, well, you know, have you considered this? And you allowed yourself to be persuaded by the word of God. That's what happened with these men. And hats off to them. Great compliments to them. They were silent. They understood what God was doing. But not only that, if you notice, it also says in verse 18, it says that they glorified God. They were happy about it. They weren't just like, well, okay, God. If you want to let Gentiles in, you can, but I don't have to be happy about it. They stood back and they glorified God. They said, God, you are so good. We see the wisdom of your plan. They gave God the glory and they showed that they could change their minds in light of what God was doing and in light of what his word declared. And the church in Jerusalem, they embraced these Gentile believers, at least for now. I think I alluded to it before. The issue was not yet settled. They still had things to work through. Acts chapter 15, they're going to come back to this issue again. But at least at this time, at this place, look at what they're saying in verse 18. They became silent. They glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. I love that phrase. God granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. That's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? They could tell that God did a work in those Gentiles because in some way, repentance to life was evident. I want you to notice that, first of all, they recognized that God's work in the Gentiles was a work of repentance. Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes we say, sometimes we say, God loves you just the way you are. Is that true? It's absolutely true. And sometimes we say, you can come to Jesus just as you are. Is that true? It's absolutely true. It doesn't matter. You come to Jesus exactly. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. But I'll say this is a pretty big reservation here. But... You must come to Jesus with repentance and willing to let him change your life. You must come to God saying, I'll repent. Not that I'm going to repent on my own and give it as a gift. You know the text makes it clear how repentance comes. It's a gift of God working within you. But you've got to be willing to receive that gift. Nobody should think for a moment that they can come to God without repentance. Because repentance simply means to turn around to change your mind. It describes a 180 degree turn where at one time you're standing one direction, you turn around 180 degrees and you stand the other direction. In one time I was focused on sin and self, but when I repent, I turn around and I turn my back on sin and self and I turn around and face Jesus and I go towards Jesus. You know what? If you use that analogy, it's impossible for me to go towards Jesus and not distance myself 
from sin and self, right? Faith and repentance go together. Faith is my turning myself towards Jesus. Repentance is my turning away from sin and self. And that's what it is. They noticed this in these people who came. I just want to make it very clear. You can come to Jesus just the way you are. Right now, he'll accept you, but he won't leave you just the way you are. He'll make you into something new, something better, a new creation in Jesus Christ. They recognize that God's work in these Gentiles was a work of repentance. And these Gentiles repented from their former reliance on their own works. Now they trusted in Jesus. These were good people, but they nevertheless had to turn away from sin and self, and they had to turn towards Jesus Christ. That's one thing that they noticed. God gave them repentance. But notice, you can also say in verse 18, put the emphasis on the fact that God granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Repentance is a gift from God. Now, you may say, well, listen, I can repent anytime I want to. Actually, no, you can't. You can't repent unless God does a work in your heart that makes you want to repent. You see, in one sense, it's true. You can repent anytime you want. But that wanting to repent is a work that God does in your heart. Here's the upshot from that. If you want to repent today, do it. Because you might not want to repent tomorrow. The devil whispers in your ear, doesn't he? You can repent at any time. You don't have to do it today. Why get rash about such things, right? You can hold on to this sin a few days longer. Just don't worry about it. You can repent any time. No, you can't. If you want to repent today, then do it today because the desire might not be there tomorrow. Don't presume on this. It's a very serious thing. And by the way, let me hasten to add that you might be thinking, yeah, David, nail those people who aren't Christians. Nail some of those unsaved sinners here today. Well, yeah, I I suppose. But can I just nail you as well? Because repentance is a word that belongs to the church as well. I've used this illustration before. You may have heard me use it. I've used it before. I'll use it again. I'll use it right now. In the letters that Jesus spoke to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, it's in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, he wrote letters to seven churches. And of those seven churches, five were told to repent. Okay? So it's not every Christian that needs to repent, just five out of every seven. (laughs) Now you go ahead and you count the people in your row right now. And maybe we'll just do the count of the people. Well, I think you get the point, right? Repentance is a word that belongs to Christians as well, because not only once have we turned ourselves in the right direction, we're going towards Jesus and away from sin itself. Isn't it a work of repentance to constantly keep yourself in that direction? Yes, it is. And that's a direction that some of you, you need to hold on to today, right here, right now. Because I... I believe, I believe that the Spirit of God speaks to hearts as the Word of God is presented. And so I believe that there's people right here this morning that as soon as I said the word repentance, 
as soon as I read it in the text, you knew what you needed to repent of. You knew what cherished sin you've been holding on to. And even if it's something that wouldn't bother a single other person in this room, you know, because God's doing business with your soul about it. I don't know what it is. I could start leading off a, reading off a list of a dozen sins and hope that it hits somewhere. Well, why not do that? Why not just appeal to your conscience and say, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about it right now. Or at least five out of every seven of you. <laughs> and he's telling you to repent. Well, the last point here, just quickly. Verse 18. Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Isn't that a great sentence? Friends, it's repentance to life. It's not repentance to death. It's not repentance to boredom. It's not repentance to whatever. It's repentance to life. Do you really think that that sin makes your life better? You're you're turning your back on Jesus. You haven't surrendered your life to him. Is your life better for that? I doubt it. God wants to give you repentance to life, to add to your life, not to take away from it, to make your life better, not worse. No, he's giving you repentance to life. Just as it says in the book of Deuteronomy, just as Moses appealed to Israel, I'll appeal to you right now, choose life. This is God's great call to us, to give us repentance unto life. Well, I, I feel that every word I say from here on out would just, Take away from what God has spoken to us through his word. 